Well, amen. If you'll take your Bibles out with me, please, and turn to the book of Romans, chapter 6. Romans, chapter 6. I'll be reading, beginning in verse 16. I'm reading this morning on our opening text from the New International Version, NIV. <clears throat> it just says in verse 16, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. Verse 18, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body to slavery, to uh, impurity, and to every increasing wickedness, so now offer them to slavery, to righteous, uh, righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. Verse 22, but now, uh, but, but know that, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the results is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. <clears throat> now, there is an open wound in American history that continues to inf just be, to fester and people continue to pick at it and just, they won't let it heal. And a lot of it comes from a misunderstanding of what is meant by the word slave. The Bible has a lot to say about slavery. <clears throat> And when we think of the, the term slavery, we get an image of a pre-Civil War period of time, a southern plantation with slaves out in the fields working with a taskmaster that beating them and abusing them. And that is a true depiction of what slavery was during that period of time. But is that what the word slavery was supposed to mean? And we're going to take a look at that this morning because I, I pray that we can find a way to bring healing to this open wound that is, that is uh, it's just vexed our nation for hundreds of years. And still to this day, it is causing a division and divide. And that is not by accident, by the way. It is a deliberate, concerted effort to try to dismantle the traditions of our forefathers, the Christian traditions that they set forth. And so we're going to take a look at that this morning. Let's pray before we get into this. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you will help us to understand the truth, God, of what you intended in Scripture. Lord, you talked about slavery, a lot about slavery. In fact, it's something that you addressed with the children of Israel of how they were themselves to treat slaves. And God, there there's a misunderstanding of what the intention was and why it was a part of the human experience, Lord. And 
God, there, the, all of the answers to that is in your word. And Lord, I pray today that you will just help us to understand God. And Lord, not just us alone, Lord, but God, I pray that the nation, God, could be enlightened to what's going on and to the evil that is at work behind the scenes, Lord, to try to keep this, this wound open, God, to keep uh, picking at it, Lord, so that it stays festered, Lord, and growing and, and, and causes division uh, in, in the nation, Lord. So teach us today. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come. I pray that we preach um, truth, God, and in clarity. God, that nothing would be distorted, Lord. You are the author of truth, God. So teach us today, Lord. Holy Spirit, come. We invite you to take charge right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we view slavery with a 21st century mentality. We see it as something that is abhorrent and cruel and evil because with that mentality, it is abhorrent and it's cruel and it's evil. But what is slavery? What does the Bible have to say about this subject? First of all, there has never been a universal acceptance of slavery in America. Let me say that again. There has never been a universal acceptance of slavery in America from the landing of the pilgrims in Plymouth to the declaration of the independence by our founding fathers and throughout the Civil War, through the Reconstruction period to the present day, there has always been godly men and godly women that have stood in opposition to slavery. What we understand is slavery. And they've advocated and fought for freedom. How many of you are anti-slavery today? Yeah. Amen. That should be 100% of every person in here if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. What we understand in a 21st century concept of what slavery is, we're opposed to that. Now, if I were to ask you at the end of this survey, how many is anti-slavery, you may not raise your hand when you understand what the Bible means when it says slavery. Because we just read either you're a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. I'm not anti-slavery if it means I'm going to be a slave to God. Okay, so it's all in the concept of the word and what it has come to mean. What it has come to mean to us is the picture of somebody beating a man out in the field because he's not working hard enough. But that's not the biblical definition of slavery. In fact, that is condemned in Scripture, as we're going to see this morning. Furthermore, nowhere in the pages of Scripture can one find an endorsement, acceptance, or approval of slavery as it has been come to be known in American history. People are ignorant of the truth about what the Bible teaches about this subject. So we're going to attempt to get a clearer understanding this morning. We're going to begin in Exodus chapter 21, verse 1 through 6. It says, Now, there are judgments which you shall set before them, if you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh year, he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. But if his master has given him a wife and she has borne him sons and daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, I love my wife, I love my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door 
of, or the doorpost, and the master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Everybody say, what? <laughs> Verse 20 says, and if a man beats his male or female servant with a rod so that he dies under his hand, he shall surely be punished. Notwithstanding, if he remains alive a day or two, he shall not be punished, for he is his property. That just sounds a little odd, doesn't it? Well, if you understand what the term slavery means, it doesn't mean what we think it means. All right. Leviticus chapter 25. Let's look a little further. Verse 44. <clears throat> now, as for your male and female slaves whom you may have from the nations that are around you. Now, the first text had to do with citizens, another Hebrew. You're doing this to another Jewish person. Now you're doing this to a Gentile, a surrounding nation, a non-Jew. All right. From the nations that are around you, from them you may buy male and female slaves. Moreover, you may buy the children of the strangers who dwell among you and their families who are with you, which they beget in your, in your land. And they shall become your property. Verse 46. And you... And you may take them as an inheritance for your children after you to inherit them as a possession. They shall be your permanent slaves, but regarding your brethren, the children of Israel, you shall not rule over them, one another, with, vic with rigor. Now, that's Old Testament. What does the New Testament say? First Timothy chapter 6. Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke, count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. And one more scripture, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Bond servants. Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or whether he is free. Now, remember, we're reading all that with the 21st century concept of what slavery is. The term slavery has a, has a different meaning in the Bible, however. In the Hebrew community, there were four classes of people. You had the free Hebrew. Now, a free Hebrew was free in that he could come and go as he pleased or whatever, but he did not see himself as being free from God. In other words, he didn't see himself as owning anything. Everything that he had belonged to God. Hence, he was a slave to God. We are bought with a price. Come on. Amen. The Bible says you're not your own. You were bought with a price. Everything that I have belongs to him. I am just steward of the things that he has given me. I don't own any of it. Amen? So I am, in, sense, in a sense, a slave to God. Do I regret that? Absolutely not. I rejoice in that. I'm glad he is my master because you're going to be a slave to something. 
A slave to sin or a slave to God? I'm glad he is my master. I used to have another master. You used to have another master that treated you like the guy in the field. Amen? But now this master treats me with goodness and kindness. He showers me with blessing. He provides everything that I need. My Father's blood provides all of my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus, the Bible says. He's a good, good master. Amen. So you had the free Hebrew who was in sense a slave to God. Everything that he had belonged to God. Then you had a bondservant. A bondservant was a person that owed a debt to someone that he could not pay. And so he would go and agree to work off his debt and he would always work for six years because on the seventh year, it was the year of Jubilee and he was set free. No matter what debt he owed, it was, it was forgiven. So in the seventh year, he was released. Then you had the third class of, of, uh, of people among the Hebrews and they were war criminals. These were people that were taken in battle that you could not cohabitate with. If they had their freedom, they would use their freedom to kill you. So you couldn't just turn them loose. You had three options. You could either execute them because you can't live with them. Their freedom means they will kill you. You can't just set them free. Or you can put them in shackles and you would use them in, in service under your control because you could not free them. They will kill you. Do you understand this? And so they became what we, I don't even know if they still do chain gangs today. How many of you remember chain gangs? You'd ride them down the road and you'd see them in their striped suits and there's a guy standing there with a shotgun and they're cleaning the ditches out or something. I remember that. Huh? They don't do that anymore. They don't do chain gangs anymore. Well, they did in, in the, in the, among the Hebrews. And it was in a sense a chain gang. Or you had voluntary slaves in that they were war criminals. They were prisoners. We have the same thing in our prisons today. If you are a good prisoner, you are given certain rights because of your good behavior. You're called a trustee. And so you get privileges that others don't get because of your good behavior. So you had some people in the, in the Hebrew culture that was so wicked, you couldn't just free them. So you had to keep them under some kind of restraints because of their behavior. And then you had the fourth class. You had the guests that were among you. That is neighbors that came in. They were not Jews. They were Gentiles. But they wanted to live at peace with you. And they, were, they would enter into commerce and to trade and everything. They would respect you. You would respect them. And the Hebrew people got along with a lot of their neighbors because of that. But there were others. All they wanted to do was kill the Hebrews so they could not cohabitate with them. And so they had to do something to protect themselves. Now, we see today, for example, the paintings and, and statues of Columbus being, we're not seeing it now, but there was a movement several years ago that they were tearing down the statues, painting them, painting all kinds of things on him. But there's a painting in D.C., of Christopher Columbus in 1492 kneeling on the beach and praying in that picture. And we see that and we wonder how did he become, go from a Christian man who is giving thanks to God for finding this new world to being a great villain in American history? How did that even happen? They, they've painted red paint over it. And they, they write things like savage, stop genocide, racism and imperialism, stop the celebration, create hope for a new world and things like that on his statues. 
They're being vandalized, defaced across the nation. Now, the statues are painted. There, there was one that had a hatchet stuck in the head of Columbus. Now, there's been over 500 years of history of Christopher Columbus. Over 600 statues were erected in his honor. So how did he get from being a person that we once honored to a, to a villain? And it is a church, hear me on this. World, hear me. America, hear me. It is a concerted effort to try to separate us and pit the races against each other. It's a deliberate, concerted effort. It's a movement of Marxism that moves you towards socialism, that moves you towards communism. It is a deliberate effort to try to get the races pitted against each other. And they keep picking at that wound and they will not let it heal. They can't let it heal because it will not satisfy their agenda. Yeah. Christopher Columbus, he had four voyages and they kept meticulous records. The first voyage is the one we're familiar with, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. They had 120 men and three ships. There's a painting of that in the Capitol. And when he landed, he was blown off course and he landed actually in the Caribbean. He came upon a group of people called the Taino Indians. And he wrote back to Spain and said, quote, a kinder and more gentle people you will not find. Like the Hebrews, he was kind to them as a neighbor that wanted to enter into commerce. He advocated that they be given full citizenship in Spain and some of them were given full citizenship in Spain. But they said, look, we're good people. We're peace-loving people. We want to, we see that you can help us. We want to enter into this agreement with you. But there's another group of people over here said they're not such good people. They're called the Caribs. That's where we get the term Caribbean from was that group of people and said they will eat you literally. They were cannibals. The Caribs were cannibals, and they were the sworn enemies of the Taino people. Columbus never heard of anything like that, so he kind of just didn't really take it serious. He left some of his men there to colonize the Taino people, and when he returned, he returned with 15 ships and 1,000 men to start to colonize the Taino people and the islands there. When he got back, all of his men were dead and devoured, devoured, literally. He couldn't find them, so he found out what had happened. He went to the island where the Caribs were with a 1,000 men, armed men, and he liberated the Taino people. When he got there, he found that many of their women, this is gross, I'm going to be as tactful as I can, but they were actually being kept for the purpose of producing children for food. Are you hearing me, church? All right. How do you cohabitate with people like that? You can't. See, the villainization of Columbus, you don't understand what they're having to deal with. You can't live with people like that. So what are you going to do? If they're free, they will kill you. So you either imprison them, you execute them, you make slaves of them. If they will learn to be civil, then you give them certain privileges. The same thing is true in the justice system today. There's some people you can't turn loose from the prison. They have to be incarcerated. It's no different, but it's seen as a horrible thing and sometimes it has to happen. 
Now, listen, I'm not downplaying what happened in the South. It was horrible, and it was not justified, and I'm not saying that. Don't read into what I'm saying this morning. That was horrible. It was unjust. But I'm saying we need to understand where this, how this all came to be. During that time was called the age of conquest. People were depraved. They were savage. They were barbaric, and you couldn't cohabitate with them. So he liberated the Taino people. Columbus enslaved the Caribs. The Taino people actually became citizens of Spain. Some of them actually served in the inner court of Spain. So Columbus, he, those who deserved freedom and, and, and privileges were given it. But those who didn't were enslaved and they just paint one side of this picture and demonize the man. You've got to look at the whole picture. Why did he do what he did? You say, well, Columbus was all about the gold. He was just there to get the gold and to, and to take it from these people. What we don't understand about that painting of who Columbus was is that there were 13 to 17 Christian crusades, mainly in Israel, Spain, Italy, and France. But three to 400 years before this, there was a documented 548 Muslim crusades throughout Italy, Spain, and the Holy Lands. And what Columbus is doing is he is trying to raise finances to support the Christian effort to take back the land that the Muslims had taken in their crusades. So he wasn't just there to try to profit and to gain. He is trying to liberate the people who have been brought under the boot heel of Islam. You don't get that in history. All you get is the demonization of the man. There was a reason behind the things that he did, and they were honorable and just things that he did. Now, let's look at this, this again. The term slavery has a different meaning today in the, uh, than in the Bible. The Hebrew community, they had four classes. They had the free Hebrew, the bondservant, the criminal element, and their guest. So how were they supposed to treat their slaves? In Exodus chapter 21 and verse 20, he said, anyone who beats their male or female slave with a rod must be punished if the slave dies as a result of it. We read that, but in verse 21, it says, but if they are not, they are not punished if the slave recovers after a day or two since the slave is his property. Verse 22, if people are fighting and hitting a pregnant woman, so see, he's not just dealing with how they were to treat slaves, but how we are to treat each other, how humanity is to treat each other. If two people are fighting by accident, a pregnant woman gets hit and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury. The offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and as the court allows, verse 22. But if there is a serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. An owner, verse 26, says an owner who hits a male or female slave in the eye and destroys it must let the slave go free to compensate for the eye. All right, if the owner knocks out a tooth of a male or female slave, he must let the slave go free to compensate for the tooth. In other words, you just didn't have the right to just beat somebody. What we see in the South was condemned in Scripture. You weren't just, you couldn't just go, go around beating on people. Yes. 
and mistreating them. And if you did, if you killed a slave, then they put you to death. If you hurt him, you knock a tooth out and let him go because you shouldn't be beating him. So there were rights that they had. We see in 1 Timothy chapter 1 that the type of slavery that we know as slavery today was condemned completely in Scripture because you, you understand when they say slave in the Bible, they are taking somebody that they cannot cohabitate with and bringing them under their control or someone that is owed a debt that they can't pay. There was a reason why they became a slave. But you didn't go out to your neighbor. For example, the Taino Indians. Columbus would have been wrong if he took a Taino Indian who wanted to live with them in peace, who wanted to enter into commerce, and made that man a slave. Because he's done nothing to him. We see it in 1 Timothy. Look at it with me. Verse 8, chapter 1, verse 8. But we know that the law, all right, what law? Let's look at it. The law is good if one uses it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and the insubordinate, for the ungodly, for the sinner, for the unholy, for the profane, for a murderer of fathers, for a murderer of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers. You see that? For kidnappers. What is that talking about? That's talking about the very thing that the slave trade was doing in the South when they went to peaceful people, any people, whether we were peaceful or not, they just went in. They didn't know who they were or what they were. They just took them as slaves and sold them for profit. Now, something else that is not found in history is that there were more actually, and some people say this is a myth. I don't believe it was. I can't verify the, 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 the truthfulness of the claim that is made, but there are documents that said uh, the English entered into a, a compact. They actually made a decree that you could take Irishmen that were taken in battle and sell them into slavery. And they did that to the tune of 300,000 men in one battle, they killed 500,000. They sold 300,000 into slavery. Well, that leaves the wives and children in, uh, without fathers. So what did they do? They took the women and the children and sold them into slavery. Now, what did a woman and a child do to them? Nothing. At one time, according to this article, if it's accurate, and I believe it, it is, at one time, there were more Irish slaves in America than there were free European citizens. To buy an African slave, it cost you 20 to 50 pounds sterling. You could buy an Irish slave for five pounds sterling or 900 pounds of cotton. So in other words, you could buy five Irish slaves for the price of one African slave or 10, depending on what you're buying. So there were Irish slaves in the West Indies and Virginia and New England. That's why you have so many Irish in America today. I am from Irish descent. This is talking about some of my ancestors. Now, am I going to keep that wound open and say, you owe me something? Why would you do that? Let the wound heal, move on. All right, I'm not justifying anything, but there was an injustice done to more than, and I'm not picking on the African-American. I'm just saying slavery in general, it was bad. It was wicked. It was evil. It was cruel. Yes. 
But you can't just keep picking at it and keep this open wound. It will never heal. And there are people that don't want it to heal. Let me move on. Our founding fathers were opposed to slavery. Now we understand, well, they own slaves, but they entered into an English settlement that endorsed and supported and encouraged slavery. And so they are in a, a, a culture that that was just what they did. It was accepted. But at the same time, they clearly showed in the Declaration of Independence that they did not believe in it. Because what does it say? We find these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. They're owning slaves, but they're sending a declaration to England that this is wrong. We find it self-evident that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights among them is life and liberty. White men, black men, Irish men, all men have the right to be free. Yes. And so to say that our ancestors, the founding fathers of this country were pro-slavery is an absolute lie. You say, but they owned slaves. Yes, they did. As a part of the English culture at that time. It may have appeared hypocritical, maybe it was, but at least they were taking steps to right a wrong. And I commend them for that. Amen? Dr. Martin Luther King said, quote, if our nation has done nothing more than in its whole history than to create just two documents, its contribution to, contribution to civilization would be imperishable. The first of these documents is the Declaration of Independence, and the other is that which we are here to honor tonight, the Emancipation Proclamation. Yeah. All tyrants, past, present, and future, are powerless to bury the truth in these declarations, no matter how extensive their legion, how vast their power, and how malignant their evil. The Declaration of Independence proclaimed to a world organized politically and spiritually around the concept of inequality of man, that the dignity of human personality has inherent in, is, was inherent in a man as a living being. The Emancipation Proclamation was the offspring of the Declaration of Independence. It was the constructive use of the force of law to uproot a social order which sought to separate liberty from a segment of humanity. Dr. Martin Luther King was a great man. Yeah. I don't know what your opinion is, yeah. that's my opinion. Amen. Was he a perfect man? No, he had flaws and we can nitpick and find that as we can the founding fathers. But all in all, he was a good man. Yeah. And I applaud him for what he did to help our nation because he was trying to heal an open wound. Yeah. I join him in that effort. So the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, the Emancipation Proclamation, all of these were good things. The Constitution and the Declaration of Independence was a promissory note ensuring that all men were equal. Every man is equal. Now, last week I talked about the role that the clergy played in the independence. We're doing a series leading up to the 4th of July. Okay, so this is the next sermon in that series. And we talked about the Black Robe Regiment the role that the clergy played in it. Today, let's look at what did the black man contribute to our freedom today? Because I don't know if you're a prejudiced person in here this morning. We are in the South. In fact, we're 18 miles from the capital of the Confederacy, right? I grew up in the South. 
the namesake that I was raised with, they all fought for the Confederacy on both sides, my mom's side and my dad's side. There was a time that I was a deep fried Southern Democrat, all right, because I was a part of the Confederacy. Those things are true. But where do we stand today? Now, black men have contributed to American freedom, whether you realize that or not. There's been a lot of teaching over the years about black history. We just celebrated Juneteenth. How many of you ever heard of Juneteenth? It's, I don't even know when they came up with this. It's something just recently they came up with to celebrate the day that they freed the slaves. Hey, that's something you should celebrate, right? Because the way that the, the slaves were treated in America was horrible. They should have been freed, and there's nothing wrong with celebrating that. But if you're celebrating it because it's something that should be celebrated, that's good. If you're celebrating just to keep this an open wound, to continue to try to pick at it, to divide the races, it's a terrible thing. What is your reason for celebrating? I'm not opposed to celebrating it. What is the motivation behind it? If you're just trying to cause division, it's a bad thing. Amen. If we're celebrating that we did a good thing, we can all come together around that and praise God. It's a good thing. So there's a lot of teaching about black history, but the teaching omits one very important truth, and it's the contributions that free black men gave to win our freedom. Yes, free black men. At the forming of the nation... And I don't know how we went from a valued part of history of free black men to become the property of slave owners. Well, let's look at how that came about. Now, I did a lot of research on this years ago, so forgive me, I'm just gonna read my thoughts as I put it, because I can't really just reconstruct this. Long before the formation of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, better known as the NAACP, in 1909, free black Americans were recognized. And they gave, they were given accommodations for the contributions that they made in the fight for American freedom. It has been noted that many of those men died in poverty. Many of the black men that contributed to our freedom, they died in poverty. And some people want to point that out. And their plight has been attributed to the fact that they were the victims of prejudice because they were men of color. But it should be also noted that nearly every one of the founding fathers lost their fortunes and were impoverished themselves. They almost all died as poor men. It wasn't due to race that history records this sad happening, but it was simply the cost of our freedom that was paid by all of those brave and honorable men, both black and white. They each pledged that, quote, we, with a firm reliance on the protection of the divine provider, uh, providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Black and white men stood side by side and took this pledge together to defend the freedom of all men. Stop pitting the races against each other. Black men died in poverty. White men died in poverty. They all died in poverty because that was the price they all paid. Stop making it a race issue. Please. 
The practices that we're witnessing today when people kneel in dis- to disgrace the American flag as a protest of the treatment of blacks is in part an insult for the memory of black men who alongside other great men of courage and honor gave their lives for freedom. You're not just insulting the white race, you're insulting black men who died for that flag. There were more than 5,000 free African Americans that served in the Revolutionary War. They served in state militia units, the Continental Army, in the Navy. They served as spies. They served as privateers, wagoneers, trusted servants of officers at the highest level during the Revolutionary Wars. Some of them served in special forces. You say they had special forces back then? Oh, yeah, they did. There were many free black men, both in the North and in the South, that enjoyed full citizenship and voting rights. We think that just happened in recent history. They had voting rights. Some of them were in positions of honor and power and even held political offices leading up to the fo- and following the Revolutionary War. So how do you go from black men who is in politics, in political offices, some of them were judges, to being reduced to slaves in the field and treated like animals. How do you get from there to there? It didn't just happen, church. It's a concerted effort that's going on to this very day. It was the infiltration of evil men into the political system before and after the War of Independence and a systematic unraveling of Christian values. They had been set forth by the, that had been set forth by the founding fathers. These evil men fought for a national acceptance of slavery. Are you still with me? They're fighting for a national acceptance of slavery. There were some that accepted what, when I say slavery, what I'm talking about, what we think of as the 21st century concept of slavery. They wanted everybody to accept slavery like that across the nation. This ultimately led to a war between the states to settle that argument. So how then did this occur? How did this bring about the emancipation of proclamation that was written and submitted by the president, Abraham Lincoln? From the earliest history of the Europeans coming to the land, there has been a division on how men should treat each other. In Virginia, slavery was accepted in Jamestown. But however, in Plymouth, the slave traders that first brought slaves to Plymouth were arrested and they were put in prison and the slaves were freed. Why? Because they were Christians in Plymouth. They were not in Jamestown. It was a Christian principle. They understood this is not, this is not Christian. Those people shouldn't be slaves. You went and kidnapped these people. They've done nothing to you. And you've made them slaves. We're locking you up, partner, and we're setting them free. It's never been a universal acceptance of slavery in America among white men. Systematic racism is a lie. It's a lie. It needs to be declared as such. The American, the, the, the pilgrims at Plymouth, they didn't just come in and take the land from the Indians. They bought it from them. They had the authority from England to take it. But they, they were Christians. They're like, that's not right to just take your land. We will buy it from you. And they purchased the land from the Wampanoag Indians. It's the longest peace treaty in American history was between the pilgrims and the Wampanoag Indians. The longest peace treaty in American history lasted for 54 years, and it was broken by the Wampanoag Indians, not the pilgrims. Yeah. 
They believed in 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the spirit of the Lord, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Galatians 3.28 says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. This was the philosophy they lived by. 1 Timothy 1.8. We know the law is good, and I read that earlier. You can't be a kidnapper. It's against the law. There's a law against being a kidnapper. You can't just go take people prisoner and sell them. It's wrong. So the pilgrims imprisoned the slave traders and freed the slaves. Early American Christians fought for the freedom of all men. But they were divided. You had freedom in the north and slaves in the south. So what contributions did black men make for our freedom? If you could put this picture up here of the battle at Bunker Hill, please. First of all, the, I, I talked last week in the last sermon about the battle in Lexington where the, where the British were going to Lexington and John Adams and John Hancock, Samuel Adams and John Hancock was at the home of the pastor, Jonas Clark. And when he said, the, when, when uh, they said the British were coming, Samuel Adams looked at Jonas Clark and said, is your people ready? Is your people ready? He said, I have prepared for just such a time as this. And they met them on the church lawn and they began the battle on the church lawn in Lexington. What you don't see in history, there was 18 people wounded or dead. At the end of that, there was one man by the name of Prince Estabrook. He was a black man. He was wounded in that fight. He was a part of Jonas Clark's congregation because blacks and whites sat in the church pews together. They didn't have a balcony where they set them separate. They sat together in the church pews because they considered them equals. Because it was a Christian nation. People that saw them as all men are equal. And they were fighting to make that happen and make it a reality. There's people fighting for that today. I fight for that. It's not right to treat a black man different or a man of color of any color different because he's a man of color. That's wrong. He is as free as I am. He is, he is as intelligent as I Some of them are far more intelligent, far more intelligent than I am. I mean, the people from India, I don't know about you, but man, that is some smart people, right? There, and I've thought, thought about doing a part B to this. There was, a, there was an African-American, I forgive me for not remembering his name, that he was a slave five years, five years after his freedom, he could speak four languages fluently, foreign languages fluently, that he taught himself. They're incapable of this. People that wanted to treat them as inferior, they said, well, they're incapable of this. And they have no idea what they're talking about or they're just lying. This picture up here is a picture of Peter Salem. If you look in the bottom right-hand corner, You'll see a black man's face right behind the, the captain there. His name is Peter Salem. This is the Battle of Concord. He was a sniper at Bunker Hill. He was a free black man from Massachusetts. He enlisted in the, colonial, uh, uh, in the, in the colonial army under Colonel John Nixon, the 5th Massachusetts Regiment. He served with Captain Simon Ingalls' company as a special force, in special forces. He was one of the few black Minutemen. He fought in the Battle of Concord and at Bunker Hill where he killed Major John Pitcairn. 
That shot that he took, he was a sniper. He shot that major, and when he did, the British saw their leader fall, and they retreated, and that's the reason the battle at Bunker Hill was won, because of that man's shot. That man right there, a black man. He received 14 accommodations, recognition from the Continental Congress, and recognition from the state legislature. So he was honored for what he did. Wasn't impoverished. They honored him for what he did because that was the concept of many people during that period of time. It wasn't a universal acceptance of slavery. That's a lie. Next picture, please. Man with a horse. That's the one. Thank you. The man you see in that picture is James Armistead. We probably owe more to that man right there for our freedom than any man in the Revolutionary War. Now, I want you to let that soak in for just a minute. He was a courier for Lafayette. That's who he's standing beside. That's why he's holding the horse. He's not holding Massa's horse. That's his horse. He was a courier. Well, if it wasn't his, he was a courier. He had a horse of his own. He was sent to the British as a spy. And who did he spy on? Benedict Arnold. He also spied on Cornwallis. He was one of his personal uh, servants. Cornwallis asked him if he would go to the Continental Army and spy on them, and he agreed. So he became a double agent. And he fed incorrect information to Cornwallis and correct information to the Continental Army. And it was probably him responsible more for our freedom than any person in the Revolutionary War, that man right there. We owe a debt to the black race. I don't have a problem with that. Why? Because I don't see him as another something. He is a man just like me and just like you. The fact that his pigment of his skin is different, what difference does that make? If we really believe that God created all men equal, that should not make any difference whatsoever. I honor him for what he did, not what he looks like. Next picture, please. Frederick, Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass, he was a minister. He was taught by William Garrison, who was an abolitionist, a white man, that the Constitution was a pro-slavery document. The reason he was talking to that was what they call the three-fifths clause, that the blacks were three-fifths. And what he taught him was they see in the South black men as less than a man. But it was a lie. It was an orchestrated lie just like it is today. You say, well, what was the three-fifths clause? Well, depending on your population is how, many representation, how much representation you can send to the House. For every 30,000 citizens, you can send a representative to, to D.C. Well, they counted their slaves as citizens, which made the population of the South so much larger than the North. So anything that they wanted to pass, they had control of the House. They could make laws that the North couldn't do anything about. So the North said, well, according to you, black men are not citizens. They're property. And if you're going to count your property, we're going to count our property. We're going to count all our horses, all of our cows, all of our mules, all of our houses. 
And they said, no, well, we can't do that. And they said, all right, then you can count three-fifths of your slavery population as citizens. Three-fifths. That was the three-fifths clause. It had nothing to do with the value of a person. It had to do with representation in Congress. It was a lie. And Frederick Douglass figured that out. And he turned and began to, he became a Republican, actually, and fought against this movement. Next picture, please. Wentworth Caswell. Well, that's a beautiful picture, but that's not Wentworth Caswell. We have him riding a horse. Do you have that one? You don't have it? Okay. That, that's fine. Wentworth Caswell, in 1775, he rode alongside of Paul Revere. He was a respected school teacher. He became America's first black judge in 1768. Then seven years later, he became America. Uh, uh, before America won her independence, he was elected to office as a judge in 1775. Uh, in 1775, documents signed in 18, I don't know what that means. 39 years before our independence, he was a judge. He had white men stand before his bench and he judged them. So you got these great pastors and great patriots some of the great pastors are Frederick Douglass, Richard Allen, Absalom Jones, Andrew Bryan, John Martin, Harry Hoosier. I talked about him the, a couple weeks ago. The Hoosier State. Anybody ever heard of the Hoosier State? It was named after this man, Harry Hoosier, a black preacher. Benjamin Rush, who was one of the signers of the, of the Declaration of Independence, said Harry Hoosier was the greatest pastor in the First Great Awakening. He was the greatest pastor Greater than George Whitfield, greater than Jonathan Edwards. He was the greatest pastor in the First Awakening, a black American. Reverend King said the Emancipation Proclamation was the offspring of the Declaration of Independence. It was a constructive use of the force of law to uproot the social order, which sought to separate liberty from a segment of humanity. If the Declaration of Independence was intended to provide freedom for all men, as I stated earlier, it was the infiltration of evil men into the political system before and after the War of Independence and a systematic unraveling of the Christian values that has been set forth by the Founding Fathers. These evil men fought for a nation's, for a national acceptance of slavery that ultimately led to a war between the states. So how did this shifting take place? How did we go from men being honored, holding positions in political office, judges, school teachers, to being beaten in the field as slaves and fighting for an acceptance for the whole nation to accept that? If the South would have won, the blacks may still be in slavery today. I have no idea. In 1789, Congress passed what was known as the Northwest Ordinance. 1789, this is right after our independence. It prohibited slavery in the federal territories of Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, Michigan, and Wisconsin. They all entered the Union as free states. You couldn't have slaves in any of those states. Why? Because our founding fathers were fighting against slavery. They believed that all men were created equal. 
And so they're trying to make America a nation of freedom for all men. In 1808, Congress abolished slavery. The United States was the first nation to abolish slave trade. They didn't stop slavery, but they stopped slave trade. You couldn't no longer go and just capture people and sell them. They were the fourth nation to stop slavery, period. By 1820, most founding fathers were dead, and there was four political parties at that time in Congress. You had the majority party, which the Thomas Jefferson party was called the Democrats. Then you had the Whigs, the Free Soil Advocates, and the Emancipationists. The Democrat majority passed in 1820 a, a law called the Missouri Compromise, and it reversed the Northwest Ordinance that had passed 31 years earlier in 1789, prohibiting slavery in federal territories. And for the first time in American history, the Congress was officially promoting slavery as a nation. Congress was for the first time. The Democrat control, listen, if you're in the Democrat party today, I'm not trying to insult you. I am giving you the history that made me a different person. You can do with it whatever you choose. The Democrat-controlled Congress passed a pro-slavery law, including the Fugitive Slave Law in 1850. It required people in the North to return runaway slaves to the South or face huge fines. So if you had a slave who had run away, you had to return him or they're going to fine you. It also gave slave traders from the South a way to capture slaves, both free and runaway slaves, and sell them into slavery. All they had to do was see a black man. It didn't matter if he was a free man. He'd been free all of his life. He might have been the free man of a free man of a free man. He's a black man. You can take him and sell him because of the law that was passed by the Democrat Party in 1850. At that time, 20,000 black Americans fled to Canada. It was the height of the Underground Railroad, people leaving the nation to free, to a free country. In 1854, the Democrat-controlled Congress passed the Kansas-Nebraska Act, opening more states to slavery. May of 1854, the anti-slavery Democrat North, Democrats in the North, now not all Democrats were pro-slavery. There were Democrats in the North that was opposed to slavery. So the Democrats in the North, the Whigs, the Free Soil Advocates, and the Emancipationists all came together and formed a new party. It was called the Republican Party that fought against slavery. You know why the Republican Party was originally formed? To fight against slavery. It is a lie it is a truth, I'm sorry, a truth that has been hidden from the American people. They formed a new party, the Republican Party, to fight against slavery. They wanted to return to the principles that was first set forth by the founding fathers. In 1856, a newly formed Republican Party entered their very first run for the White House. They had nine planks in their platform, six of the nine were pro-freedom and civil rights bills for slaves. Six of the nine, two-thirds of their platform was to free slaves and give them civil rights. The Democrats issued the rebuttal 
all efforts of the abolitionists, this is what they said, quote, all the efforts of the abolitionists are calculated to lead to the most alarming and dangerous consequences of all such efforts have its inevitable tendency to diminish the happiness of the people. In other words, if you set all those slaves free, it's going to ruin our happiness. 1857, the Democrats had the House, they had the Senate, they had the White House, and they had the Supreme Court. Democrat-controlled Supreme Court delivered what was known as the Dred Scott decision. Blacks were not persons, but they were property. They announced, quote, blacks had no rights which the white man was bound to respect, and the Negro might justly and lawfully be reduced to slavery for his benefit. Chief Justice Roger B. Taney. In 1860, Abraham Lincoln ran against Stephen Douglas of Illinois. The Republican platform opposed the fugitive slave law, the Dred Scott decision, and the goal to end slavery and win back civil rights for blacks. That was what he was running on. The Democrat platform praised both the laws. To show support for the law, they passed out copies of the Dred Scott law showing their approval of owning slaves. And Abraham Lincoln won the election, and you know the rest of history. He eventually signed the proclamation, uh, the uh, Emancipation Proclamation, to free the black man. Now, church, we still stand for freedom today for all men. I hope you do. I do. Dr. King says, I dream of the day when all men shall be judged by the content of their character and not by the color of their skin. How many of you believe that? Judge people by the content of their character. That works two ways, church. America, that works two ways. I want to judge you by the content of your character. I don't care what color you are. I don't care what side of the track you came from. I don't care if you came from the north, if you came from the south, if you came from Venezuela, if you came from Iran. I don't care where you came from. If you're a person of honor and character, I judge you as such. We should not have prejudice towards anyone. God dealt with that when he sent Simon Peter to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile. It was forbidden to go into a Gentile's house. God dealt with his view on prejudice that day. Because as he preached, the spirit fell on the Gentiles as it had on them in the upper room. God didn't show preference between one race and another or one nationality or another. We shouldn't either. But there are some that see see and treat black men today as inferior. And that's happening in a political realm. They see the black man and they treat the black man or people of color as inferior. They're portraying them as victims of prejudice and they must have a savior. And who's going to be their savior? The politicians and the civil rights activists. You can't stand for yourself. I am here to help you. I am on your side. I am going to help you out. I'm going to do this for you. No, you're not. It's a lie. You're keeping that wound open. You're picking at it. You're keeping them oppressed. You're keeping them in slavery. A slave to you. To your political political platform. To your social rights activities. Because without them believing that lie, you don't have a job. 
I'm not saying you. I'm talking about the people that's doing this. Amen? Amen. You understand what I'm saying, right? They're implying that the black man is not worthy of earning a job of his own merit, of his own talent, of his own intellect, and of his own skill. You can't earn a job on your own. You're too stupid. We've got to dummy down the educational system so you can get a passing grade. Church, it's a, it's, it's a deliberate effort, a concerted effort. It's been going on a long, long time, and America needs to wake up to this. Affirmative action. Something started years ago. It judges a man by his color, not by his character. We're going to give you a job. You have to hire a certain amount of minorities, a certain because we're going to give you a job just because of your color. Doesn't matter if you're qualified or not. How is that judging you by your character? How is that fulfilling the dream of Dr. King? It's not fulfilling the dream of Dr. King. And there are a lot of people of color that are seeing this and they are angry that they have been lied to. And they're saying, stop treating me like a victim. I am not a victim. I am not stupid. I can make my own way. I'm intelligent. I can achieve. I can accomplish what anybody else. This is America, the land of opportunity. If you're willing to apply yourself, work hard enough, you can achieve. It's been proven over and over and over by people of color. I remember this story of this young man who grew up under a bridge without any parents that put himself through college. Of a woman who cleaned floors that could not read and her son became a brain surgeon. She would make him write book reports and bring them to her and she couldn't even read them, but he didn't know that. But he would, she would make him read books and give her a book report that she couldn't even read herself. He went on to be a brain surgeon. Don't tell me you can't achieve. You don't need somebody to give you a handout. Work. Because you can. And then you can, you can be a person of honor and integrity like men before you. Many of the men that came out of slavery at the founding of America went on to hold prestigious positions in the community and in the government. And the way they did it, many of them, they were self-taught. They taught themselves. They wouldn't accept that they were less than. They believed that these truths are self-evident, that all men are created equal that we are endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. We, the black man, the man of color, and among those rights is life. You don't have the right to just kill me. Liberty, you don't have the right to enslave me. In the pursuit of happiness, I have the right to happiness just like you. I should be able to go to that beach just like white people go to that beach. I should be able to go to that swimming pool just like white people go to that swimming pool. I should be able to drink out of that water fountain just like white people drink out of that yes. water fountain. Amen. Are you hearing me, church? Yes. 
It's a right. Human beings. It's inalienable. Given to us by our creator. And they believed that. As a result, these men were not seen and treated as less than. But they were honored. And they were accepted. Because they were equal. All men are equal. In the eyes of God. In that respect. Now, if they do something that causes them to be incarcerated, that's not because they're being incarcerated because they're people of color. That's being incarcerated because they're a criminal. Right? Same thing applies to a white man. Break the law, you go to jail. Unless you're... Don't go there. You can hide your laptop and you got everybody covering for you and take bribes from Russia and nobody gets penalized for it. And, huh? I did go there, didn't I? Erase all the stuff onto your computer in your basement. And I may do a plan B on this, a part B on this later on. Just so that you know what's going on. So. How many? Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to close here. You know, we are approaching our our celebration of our independence, our freedom celebration. What a great thing to celebrate! Amen. Yes. And as we do, I I celebrate our freedom, our independence, and that we continue in the spirit of our forefathers. That we reject the destructive attempt of evil people. They're working so hard to dismantle the values that these great men fought for. Black men, white men fought for. Yes. Amen. And and I I encourage my black brethren, don't don't buy the lie. There were great African Americans that fought for your freedom. We owe them a great debt. Yes. One debt that we owe them is respect yes. for the sacrifice they made. Because they fought and believed in that flag. We got them lining up the highway down there. Why? Because I believe in America. I still believe it's the greatest nation on this planet. It has fought for freedom. It stands for freedom. I know it's got problems. I'm not saying it's perfect. But a lot of its problems, I have described as the source of it this morning. And we the people, we the people can change some of that. We just had an election last Tuesday. I hope you voted. If you didn't, don't raise your hand. <laughs> I hope you got out and used your right as a citizen to vote. Yeah. Amen. Because that's how you make that difference. Amen. Boy, you're a political pastor. Yes, I am. I think we should be. Because it's people that's trying to run and hide from that. Amen. Come on. Give the Lord praise. Not me. It's people that run and hide from that that allows this kind of stuff to get to the level that it's gone to people that know the truth and they, they're, they're afraid or ashamed to say it. I, maybe I'm just too dumb. I just get up and say it because I know it's true. You know, I don't know. but It's true. What are you going to do? Right? Some people may agree with that, but that's all right. They can be wrong if they want to. Let's, let's uh, pray. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice that was made by all men, God, to give us our freedom. 
My goodness, Lord, some of the people that has done such wonderful things, Lord, and they want to minimize that. God, we don't. I recognize it. I honor those men. I am grateful to them. Lord, if they were brothers in Christ, someday we will see them in glory. I look forward to the day that I can go up and say thank you for what you did to give me freedom, to give my wife freedom, to give my children freedom, to give my grandchildren freedom. We want to use that freedom, Lord, to help people, God, not to hurt them, God, not to marginally, uh, to minimize them, Lord, and marginalize them, God. We just pray, Father, that you help us to see all men equal, treat them as equal, think of them as equal, respect them as equal, Lord, and encourage them, God, to stand together with us. Let's stand together, Lord. So, Lord, open the eyes of those who have been lied to, God, and Show them the truth, I pray in Jesus' name. Let's worship the Lord before we close in prayer.
freedom celebration. I'm looking forward to that. We're going to have a great time in the Lord. Uh, also, you are encouraged. If you haven't already got it, you got one week to get your Pinewood Derby ready. And you better bring your A game, brother, because I got one that is screaming fast. And I challenge you. Chevy powered. Amen. Now, I know that everybody in here is not a Chevrolet lover, just like everybody may not be a Republican. All right. But may I remind you that if you, are, if you want to also, we're going to have a cook-off contest, I think, for apple pies or apple... No, apple pies. Apple pies. But every night bring an apple. If you want to bring some kind of apple dessert, that's fine, but you're going to be graded on the apple pies. Is that right? Because America's all about baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and... Ford, did somebody say I'm just having fun, guys. If you don't love Chevrolet, that's fine. You can love Ford, you know, Dodge or whatever. Can I have fun? Is that all right? Yeah. But now if you are a Democrat, <laughs> I love you just like I love people that own the Ford. What? Bring your lawn chair. Bring your lawn chair. Yeah, bring your lawn chair. We're going to have a lot of fun. Amen. And I love you if you are a Democrat. Amen. God bless you. God created all. He even created Democrats equal. I don't know how he did that, but he did. Just like he created Ford. Um, I'll stop before I get this hole's already deep enough. Amen. Father, we just bless you, Lord. We thank you, God, for a spirit of happiness and joy, God, that we can have that, Lord. We can speak the truth, God. We can process it. Lord, I pray that people do. Go home, God. They search their heart. They search the scripture. They search history, Lord. Lord, they, they love truth more than they love anything else, God, more than our position, our pride, Lord. God, I remember the day I voted for Jimmy Carter, my goodness, and, and then I had a wake-up call, and I didn't do that anymore. So, Lord, I, just help us to know, God, what's good, what's right, what's working towards a, 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 a righteous end, and what's not, God. Help us to see. Lord, I pray that the scales will fall off, and if, if there has been a deliberate, concerted effort, bring about something that is evil and we're a part of it God help us to see that and not be a part of it anymore Lord. so Lord may truth prevail today may truth prevail God I pray now Lord I speak a blessing over the body of Christ over every home that is represented here today Lord may it be a refuge God an escape from the world a place where you're honored Lord a place where your Holy Spirit is welcome Lord I just pray a bond and a relationship and a love between husbands and wife that is just unbreakable God would form in every home relationship between parents and their children Lord if there's a brokenness there Father heal it I pray in Jesus name Lord brothers and sisters God Lord if there's some differences there Lord help them to find common ground come together love each other Lord they're of the same blood help them to find unity once again Lord 
If there's repentance needed, God, bring repentance, Lord. Bring healing. And then, Lord, I pray for those that's traveling their journey alone, God. May they find their mate, Lord. If they're happy to be single, Lord, then you be their mate, God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. God bless you, church.